0: Welcome to episode number 93 of Radio 815, the podcast dedicated to examining the work of Ruddy Director J.J. Abrams. I'm your host for this week. My name is Marcelo Nostroza, joined as always by my fellow co-host, Matt Crandall. And on today's episode, we'll be discussing Fringe, season two, episodes eight and nine. First up is the episode entitled August. So Matt, do you know what? I need correction. You need correction,
1: and I need the perfect strawberry milkshake. So we're taking a look at episode nine, August, which is a Pinkner-Wyman joint, and this one, you know, if you've been listening to the podcast, I've been complaining about standalone non-mythology episodes the last couple of weeks, saying that, you know, if this was a streaming series, we wouldn't get those, and now... If you wanted the mythology episode, here it is. We've, I felt like we've been waiting since Momentum Deferred. And this episode is extremely observer-centric, but not just the observer that we have come to know and love, multiple observers. The episode centers around an observer who goes rogue and stops observing and actually intervenes in an event to kidnap this young woman named Christine to prevent her from being on a plane that crashes. Marcelo, as all of this is going on, what are you thinking as we see an observer no longer just observing?
0: I really love this episode because like you said, this episode really gives us a different look into the observers because we initially thought that the observers from day 1 are bad guys or they just observe. They 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 really don't intervene like you said. And in this episode, we have an observer, a.k.a. August, basically kidnapping this woman to save her life because this woman was going to go on a trip from Boston to Italy. And during her trip, the plane that she was on was supposed to crash. So that's the reason why this observer basically kidnaps her and prevents that event from happening. But as a result... The, the timeline needs correction. So this whole episode is about this observer trying to keep this young woman safe. And Olivia and Peter uh, are investigating the, the kidnapping of this young woman. And then they discover that the, the observers have basically been at every critical point in human history. They were at the murder of the king that launched... Uh, World War One. They've they've been everywhere. And for the life of me, Peter, Olivia and the team can't figure out why this observer kidnaps, you know, this woman. And ultimately, I love the reason why he does it. That reason just blew me away, which which we'll get to at some point. But I love this episode gave us a different angle to the observers that we've never seen before.
1: Yeah, I thought that perspective shift where we have not been sure if the observers were good guys or bad guys. We know that they're around at like important events, and we've mostly just been hanging out with our observer. I don't know that we know that his name is September at this point, but if you're watching Fringe, we're just going to assume that maybe you know this, so we'll address him as that. So I love that early on in this episode, they start seeing this footage and they realize this is not our observer. This is a different guy and they have to figure out why this guy would do what he would do because as far as they know and as far as Walter knows, you know, the observers don't intervene except for the time in 1985 when our observer, September, according to Walter's story, did intervene and helped him when him and Peter crashed into the frozen lake. So, we still have some questions and that comes up again throughout the episode as this idea of correction comes up. So there is, by August intervening, we see a table full of observers have a meeting where they're like, well, he wasn't supposed to do this, so now the timeline is going to be screwed, so we got to correct this, and they hire an assassin to go after Christine to make sure that she gets killed to fix the events of time. And I like this idea that August the Observer is Trying to find a way to change time, and the reason he wants to do that is because, as we find out, he has an attachment to this person that he's been observing since she was a child, because he has been there at some of the most traumatic events of her life, and seeing how brave and the perseverance and strength of will that this young woman had as a child really connects to him in a way that the other observers kind of don't really understand. And seeing that when they sort of ask him why, and he's just like, well, I felt something that I can't even describe. And like, we know almost like a love or an empathy. And I thought that was really interesting because not only are these guys, some weird other dimensional beings, but they don't feel things the way that we do. But this one guy kind of is starting to. And so then you're like, okay, because this humanity crept in, he did this thing, and the only reason he thought that that thing was possible is because he remembers that back in the day, another observer did something similar. And so I thought that was really interesting, adding to our understanding of the observers as a group because this is something we didn't think that they could do and raises a lot of questions about the concept of time overall and. Brandon at Massive Dynamic tries to explain it to us in the rudest way possible by spilling water all over everybody's shoes. But when he fills up that test tube and he says, like, you know, we think of time as pouring through the test tube, but actually time is just filling up the test tube. And then with the full test tube, you could maybe move throughout it. So I like that this is changing our perception of what time, time travel and observing means overall throughout All of Fringe.
0: You know, you make an interesting point that when August kidnaps the girl, at some point he has a meeting with the other observers and they question his motives. And when they question his motives, he can't really put his finger on why he did what he did. He just felt that it was the right thing to do. And if you notice in that scene, uh, the person who directs this episode focuses on uh, the observer that we'll come to know as September a lot. September knows what August is feeling, but I don't think he wants to tell the other observer that he feels this or or he has felt the same feelings that August has felt at one point in his life, specifically in the 80s. So I think that September knows exactly what the hell happened to August and why he did what he did. That's why I think uh, September is playing... Things close to the best, I don't think that he wants to let the other observer know that he knows exactly what's going on with August because I think that he's worried about retribution from basically like the 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 crumpledy old observer who you know is kind of controlling the other two also, I find it really interesting that August at the beginning at the beginning of the episode before August kidnaps uh, the the young woman he's writing in this notebook, and all throughout the episode. Walter is fiddling with his notebook. And it turns out that in the notebook, August wrote down a specific formula that only Walter, you know, would notice. So Walter ends up going to meet August in a restaurant. And Walter's all worried and all panicked that August is after Peter. Because at this point, we know that Peter's from the other universe. And I really like the fact that August asks for Walter's help I really really enjoyed that because you would think that somebody like the observers wouldn't need a help the help of somebody like us But I really like the fact that August knew that no matter where he went no matter what time he went The observers were always going to find him and the girl that he was trying to protect so in that conversation Walter says something very very intriguing you are going to have to make a choice. And what whatever that choice is, you, you're going to have to be okay with that choice. So I really like that scene.
1: Yeah, that's a great scene. And I do love, as you mentioned, they recover August's journal and we see him writing in it. The observers use weird cryptic symbols and they write right to left instead of left to right like we would. So I thought that was really interesting. And Walter decodes this secret message and realizes that he can go to this meeting spot. And when he's talking to August and he meets up with him, the observers have said multiple times, like, why did he do this? This woman is no one. Christine Hollis is not important. And they keep hitting this. She is not important. So I love that when August meets up with Walter and he's like, I need your help. Like you're the guy who can tell me how I can save this woman. Walter actually gets it pretty well for Walter. And he says, I think the thing you need to do is find a way to make her important that they can't correct her because whatever has happened now in the timeline needs to be so important that it is a historical event that other observers would want to observe. And I thought that was a really nice moment where Walter takes his knowledge as far as he knows of the observers and what they do and he gets to apply it in a way that August now has like some sort of mission and we don't know what that mission is. August ends up getting killed, mortally wounded, and we find out that the thing that makes this woman important is that she was the person responsible for the death of an observer, which is this beautiful yet tragic moment where because he did feel this love for her so strongly, he actually realized he was willing to sacrifice himself and the way that he could make her important was if she killed one of them. Love is more important than than the small things and he's willing to to die for love and beauty killed the beast, King Kong sort of esque stuff going on. But I loved it. I thought it was just really touching. When September and August are in that car, September's like, why did you save her? Like you you're going to die because you thought this was so important. you know, it was all stems back to he was there when as a child she went through really hard times when her parents died and i just thought it was all really emotional and human the reasoning and it makes us connect to the observers in a much bigger way and it really invested me in this character that i'd never seen before um of august and the woman because of this tragic backstory and the way that they worked it together felt believable it didn't feel like Fringe was trying to do some sort of last minute heel turn on the observers to say like, Hey guys, they're actually really good, but it, it like was organic and it really worked.
0: I, you know, you know, you've been saying it for weeks. I've been complaining about it for a while that fringe needs to get more serialized that we need to, that we need to begin to understand where we're going here in the bigger picture. And I think this episode did wonders to explain these bald people in these suits. One other thing that I really thought this episode did well is I feel that Walter is running out of time to keep his secret with Peter because Walter goes to meet August at the restaurant. He's decoding this book throughout the entire episode and he doesn't tell Peter anything until the very end of the episode. So I feel that the story is coming to a tipping point where Walter is going to have to tell Peter Peter where he's from and what he really did. Now, what that is going to bring up and what that is going to cause, you know, you got me. But I can't wait until we get there because I think when we get to that moment, I think their relationship is going to change in ways that that may change the show forever. There is a very, very nice scene with Olivia and Peter in a car. And Olivia is basically telling Peter about the first time that her that her mother took her to go see a movie and that she was so enchanted and so taken away by that. You know, even before the movie started, Olivia leaned over to her mother and said, Mommy, this is the best movie ever. And the reason why that hit home with me is because when I was a kid growing up, my dad took me to go see a movie that planted the seed that led to me becoming a screenplay writer in that film was Mission Impossible. Okay, I'm going to bring it all back now. And the the reason why I find that scene significant is because at the very end of the episode, Olivia is walking with broils and she asks for the rest of the day off. The reason why she asks for the rest of the day off is because she's babysitting her niece. And all her niece wanted to go do was go to this theme park and ride these roller coasters. And I love that the final scene of this episode is her niece and Olivia riding this roller coaster that Olivia didn't even want to ride at the beginning of the episode. And the the button on top of that scene was two observers watching Olivia riding the roller coaster. And, you know, and they say that she looks so happy, but she has no idea how much she's going to start to suffer. And I'm like, what the hell is that? That's ominous. And then the episode ends. So I thought this episode was amazing. I just loved Almost everything about it. Yeah, the ending
1: was a really nice kick to the balls because you talk about tipping point and we didn't realize that this actually could be a tipping point for Olivia Dunham. When the episode opens, she was supposed to spend the day with Ella. She gets called away and Ella says, I know it's okay. You have a really important job. I get it. But the kid's obviously crushed. So at the end, she finally does take the day off and gets to take Ella to the amusement park Luckily, it doesn't look like Brave Mave's inclusive kingdom, but it is some sort of fun theme park that they're having a good time at. And those observers are observing it. When we see that, we're like, oh, no, why? Why are they watching this event? And then when they say, yeah, they look so happy, but everything is about to get so much worse. And you're like, okay, what? Why? What is going to happen? And why is this like a key moment that they would observe Is this the last time Olivia Dunham is ever going to be happy? Why are they here? So I thought that was really ominous and definitely adds foreboding to the rest of the season regardless of what happens. This is going to be ringing in the back of our minds thinking, well, why did the observers say that it was about to go bad? So I think that that was a smart idea because it's going to make us look at the rest of the season through a different lens. So even if fringe team gets a big win, we might be thinking, oh, but there's this thing in the back of our mind. Remember the end of that episode where they said? So I, I love that because it gets us invested even in Mystery of the Week episodes that we might have coming up. We're going to be wondering every time Olivia is on screen, is this when the suffering starts? Like, when is when is this going to happen? So I think that that was a really smart, kind of like a ticking time bomb they, they placed into Olivia Dunham's hands and ours so that when we watch the rest and we move on to an episode like the one we're about to talk about, we still have that nagging at us as we watch these mystery of the weeks. And I think that was smart to get us deeper invested in them.
0: And on that note, we'd move on to the final episode that we're gonna talk about this week, episode nine. The episode is entitled Snakehead. So Matt, I have a question for you. Are you hungry? No, not after watching this episode. And I love
1: when Peter arrives on the scene He's like, how bad is it? Well, did you eat? And he's like, yeah. And she goes, okay, well, then it's pretty bad. Like, that's that's unfortunate because things are about to get gross. And this episode begins with we're in what's supposed to be, you know, Boston's Chinatown or something, but is very clearly Vancouver, BC's Chinatown. And this disgusting parasitic worm that comes out of this dude And so what I liked was this actually had shades to me of alias where, you know, we've got the torturer dude and this kind of similar lighting and similar color palette where the mad scientist kind of guy is removing these giant, horrible, screeching, parasitic worms from people. And so I thought that was kind of cool because design wise and just the way they shot it was very evocative of that same look that they used in Alias when Sydney would have her run-ins and get tortured in the back room Um, so I thought that was really cool and the guy who plays like the the main bad guy of this Z Ma is a really great character actor this guy who's harvesting these disgusting worms that are killing people as they are trying to immigrate on this cargo ship from China to the U S and we have to figure out why, why they're dying, why anybody would want these worms because it becomes apparent that this was all intentional. Someone gave everyone on this ship a drug that they told them was for seasickness, but it actually was like the eggs that started this horrible thing happening. So I love as team fringe has to figure out who, what, why and then we start to get involved in triad gangs and all sorts of different stuff as it branches off. They raise the stakes by getting everybody kind of involved, including in a a sad way, Astrid in a bigger way than normal. So I thought for a Mystery of the Week episode, this one was fairly strong and disgusting, but also has harkens back to we've seen other like parasitic things like the weird super mario plant that like would attach to people's hearts and stuff so this is something that fringe loves to do but this was them doing it really well what did you think marcello as this squid like worm thing is being pulled out
0: of this guy's mouth first of all just just a little aside here for the viewers i love chinese food but this episode makes me not want to eat chinese food ever again because it was just gross it was just Really, really disgusting. And I really like that you mentioned the lighting of of basically like this doctor's laboratory where he is pulling out the parasitic worm of this poor guy's body. I really... I really like that choice. Do you think that was intentional by the, uh, by the photographer of this episode? Or do you think just was a happy accident?
1: It's tough to tell because it looks so strikingly. The color palette is almost exactly the same as they used on Alias. So I feel like they were like, hey, remember when we did that on Alias? Like the bad robot people were probably like, let's give it sort of a same aesthetic look. But then also that is like a very, you know, we're in Chinatown kind of look. Although with Sydney, I think she was actually in China, but still could have been if it was just a happy accident, then somebody really stumbled into something because it did look very similar to some of those scenes from the first two seasons of Alias.
0: The other thing that I love about this episode is that there's a subplot in this episode where Walter is trying to learn how to stand on his own two feet again. He takes a taxi to the crime scene and when he gets to the crime scene, he berates Peter for basically following the taxi to the crime scene. And Peter's like, Walter, I wasn't following you. We're going to the same place, right? And at a point in the episode, Walter ends up going to what we are led to believe is Chinatown to investigate, to try and find these verbs, if I'm mistaken, right? And he ends, he ends up visiting a shop. And in that shop, It turns out, you know, uh, the shop that he visits is the same shop where this mad scientist is working. And Walter just mentions off the top of his head, oh, I have a big giant worm in my lap. And that leads to the triad of, you know, uh, that this scientist is working for going to Walter's lab, assaulting Astrid and basically kicking the shit out of this poor woman. I love the way that that makes Walter feel because... Walter is really confident throughout this entire episode that he can stand on his own two feet. But this entire episode shows us that he's not ready yet. I mean, for God's sakes, he ditches Astrid in Chinatown. He gets lost. He can't, he, you know, he doesn't remember his phone numbers. He doesn't remember his, uh, anybody's phone number. And he ends up befriending this Chinese woman who finds Peter's number keeps Walter safe while Peter, you know, later comes to get him. The reason why that touches me so much is because as a disabled individual, I spent years of my life trying to, trying to show my family that I was capable of taking care of myself to an extent. And it took me forever to understand that there was only so much I could do that, that at some point I was going to reach a plateau where I needed somebody else's help. And I think at the end of this episode, Walter reaches that plateau. So I loved the the sort of horror elements of this episode, but I really latched on to Walter's story in this episode so, so much.
1: Yeah, and Walter's story is kind of the, the driving heart of the side plot of this episode. And it is him thinking that he is further along than he is. And unfortunately, what happens, as you mentioned, is when he gets turned around and lost, that is when the gang attacks Astrid because they've they've followed her. And so when he finds out that she got beat up after he's gone through this ordeal, so he goes through the ordeal and they do contact Peter and then he Peter shows up and he's like, you have the numbers. You have them written on you. And Walter didn't remember, so like it would have been much easier for him to find Peter than it was But then when he realizes that Astrid has been hurt and if he didn't get turned around and lost like this might not have happened. And so he realizes his limitations right now that he didn't want to admit are just because of his mental state is not as clear as he wants it to be. And that is something that would be very hard to admit. But when he sees that someone that he cares for deeply has been hurt as a result of this. At the very end, he injects himself with a tracking implant and gives Peter the tracker. I guess I'm not as far along and I might need some help. So I did like that Walter, in admitting that, it's actually stronger than him not admitting it. So it shows strength because it takes a lot to ask for help. And sometimes people think that asking for help is weakness and it's not. And I liked that the whole episode, he doesn't get Astrid, her name wrong at all. So... It takes the levity and the disrespect that, you know, I know that the actress felt of that bit out. So I like that because we are going to put her in some peril, we don't do that at all. You know, we show Walter cares about this woman very deeply. And the fact that she got hurt is what really makes him realize he's not as far along. I thought that was great. And when we find out that the parasitic worm, when it bites Walter, and we're like, oh, my God, what the hell? We find out that it actually has healing capabilities and then we realize, okay, this is not a monster for monster's sake. This is something that actually has good properties but is brought into this world in a horrible way. And so that adds that human element that you always like in these standalone episodes where the reason somebody's doing something is actually a semi-good reason, even if this is for money. But we do see this woman and her son. And as the mystery goes on, we find out that she is involved because her son needs these injections because of something that's wrong with him. And so I thought that was interesting that we're, we're grounding this bad things are happening, but there's a positive side to the bad things. What did you think, Marcelo of the fact that these worms are being used for good, but it is a triad gangster organization that is making them to to sell this medicine
0: like you said uh you got there before i could i love the fact that initially we think that these worms are bringing in drugs right because there's a scene where the mad scientist or the bad guy of this episode takes out one of the memory one of the glands of this worm and makes like this white powder. So we think that the white powder is obviously cocaine, but later on we learn that the white powder is medicine, right? And it was a really smart idea for the writers to introduce us to a family that needs that white medicine to really connect with what the Chinese doctor is doing, whether it's for money or whether it's because he really wanted to help. I tend to believe that he just wants the money because if he really wanted to help, he would have thought of another way to bring these worms into existence. Because Walter mentions that the worms need the human body as an incubator. And are you telling me that you can't find another organism, you know, that would serve as an incubator for your worms? Does it have to be humans? Why does it have to be humans? So, so that makes me believe that he cares more about the money than he does the science. Right. That's like some
1: Paul Reiser in aliens type of shit. Yeah. We're going to send you out to intentionally get impregnated with these xenomorphs because we want, we want them for our nefarious business. So it does show that not that, not that this episode would be any better if we found out they were doing this to chimpanzees or anything, but like, still The fact that they are willing to let people die in the pursuit of this is not all sunshine and roses.
0: The other thing that I thought you mentioned that at the end of this episode, Walter ends up putting a tracking chip in his neck. When Walter woke up Peter at the start of that scene, I thought he was going to tell him. I thought he was going to tell him everything. So I got so excited to get this exposition scene of Walter finally telling him. Where he's from, but it turns out that Walter put a chip in his neck. I love that scene, but I was so disappointed that he didn't tell him. So I'm like, that has to come soon, right?
1: It has to, I would assume. Like we speculated before, I feel like they've been pushing that down the road, but we're getting to a point where Peter has to discover this and how that is going to shape Peter and Walter's relationship going forward. And what that's going to do to the fringe team dynamic is anyone's guess at this point.
0: All right, guys. So that'll do it uh, for this week's edition of Radio 815. If you guys like anything we do here and you want to reach out to us, there are a couple places in which you can do that. The first place to do that. It's just by simply using the hashtag on Twitter, uh, Radio 815, or you can reach out to us on our personal Twitter page. It's JJUniverse815. If you want to talk to me personally, the best place to contact me and yell at me about anything at all is on Twitter. I'm at CreekFanatic88. But Matt, if the good folks want to talk to you about anything, what would be the best place for them to reach you?
1: On Twitter, at Matt Crandall.
0: All right, guys, uh, I just have a couple more things to say before we wrap up this episode. The first thing I want to say is I want to give a shout out to a wonderful Facebook uh, group that is dedicated to Fringe. I've been sharing our episodes on there since we've started covering Fringe on the podcast. And if you're a Fringe fan, this is a wonderful community. And I definitely recommend that you go and check them out. If you still have a Facebook account, their page is called Fringe Fans. So, you know, go over there, check them out and tell them that Radio 815 sent you. Until next week, as always, uh, thank you so much for listening. And until next time, we'll talk back soon. Radio 815 is a Balloonhead Productions presentation in association with Killer Newt Productions.